Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 7 of the 2024 podcast series where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. Week 0 already in the books and frankly this recording is taking place on Thursday, August 31st after the first set of, of games for the first full weekend of week one of the college football season. So we've got a lot of games that we want to go ahead and get through, talk about what I've seen. Also want to start touching on some of the group of five teams and, and really what we could take a look at. I'll tell you what, week zero, we got to see USC and Notre Dame, a couple of ranked teams, got to see a couple of uh, uh, conference matchups. Really, the showcase was, was Conference USA seven total games so let's jump into those games really talk through what we saw and uh i'll I'll tell you what we have to start off with the usc san jose state game and the trojans look they they took care of business uh this was a a game that i I think was a little bit closer early on first half you know a seven point game I, i don't think people were really expecting to see that from the Trojans. I think the defense was still a little suspect, some questionable moments there. But then you get Caleb Williams, really, you know, just another day at the office for him. 18 to 25, 278 yards, four touchdowns. This is a guy, look, the 76 yard touchdown pass to Taj Washington. The ball hits him in the hands and he fumbles it. Ultimately, Caleb Williams said that there was a bruise in his hand. So when the ball hit his hand, you know, it, it ultimately he wasn't able to grasp it. But then he picks up the football and looks downfield, sees the corner in the safety with, with, with Taj Washington behind them, and the, the torque with his ability, you know, as he's moving to the right, kind of fading away to be able to still get that ball around with pressure in his face so he can't really step into it and still throw the ball 50-plus yards in the air. Taj Washington runs underneath that, makes the catch, and takes off for the touchdown. Um, you know, it was just a tremendous... Uh, tremendous play. You see the arm strength. You see the just the overall talent, the arm talent, the, the physical ability uh, was definitely on display there from Caleb Williams. Uh, one of the things that I really liked was the fact that he was able to go through his progressions. You saw him going off of that primary receiver a little bit more. Um, you really liked his ability to sidestep linebackers, blitzing up the middle, rolling out, keeping his eyes down the field. Didn't always just lock on to his guy all the time, which I, you know, I really appreciated. I. I I think too often he was locking on to the primary receiver and really wouldn't get off of him. And now he's able to to show that he can do that and move on to the, the secondary receivers. And, uh, you know, really with Caleb Williams, you know, like I said, another day at the office. You know, he made it look easy. Uh, really, you know, very com- comfortable performance. I-, I thought, you know, there was a bad sack that he took um, sitting there in the pocket. Ultimately wasn't able to step up because the defensive tackle really collapsed the interior of that line. And then Jonah Monheim getting beat off the edge by Trey Smith uh, at the same time. So he really didn't have anywhere to go and, and ended up taking a really bad sack deep in their territory. But outside of that, I think, you know, Caleb Williams, you know, USC, they, they got off to a, a good start. Now they'll be taking on Nevada um, in the Coliseum on Saturday. So we'll see if they can improve upon that performance. I'll tell you what, the offensive line, I thought, struggled at times. This was a group that we saw so many different, uh, so many, I think there was like eight, ten guys that played, so many different lineups there. And uh, I think that's really where the, the, the Trojans struggled at times to really build any chemistry up front. Um, you know, tonight I, I watched UCF and their offensive line, and they had three new starters, and they really looked a lot more 
fluid, like they had been playing together for a long time. Uh, something that we just didn't see out of USC, and I think you know John Henson, the head, the offensive line coach, is definitely going to want to improve in that area for sure. When you watch Jonah Monheim, this is the left tackle, a guy that they moved over from the right side, and they said, all right, this is the guy that we're going to have out here. And um, I, I thought that there were times where he struggled with with the speed of, of Trey Smith, the defensive end, a guy who I think is actually a pro prospect. Um, you know, he, he showed uh, an ability that he, he wasn't going to panic, get his hands under the pad level, able to control the point of attack, and, and ride the, the defensive end away from the pocket. But there were also times where he was just beaten. Uh, the foot speed just wasn't there. He needs to do a better job of getting out on that kick slide, beating that ed edge rusher to the edge. Because uh, once he did that, you saw the punch at the point of attack. You saw his ability to, uh, you know, really stand the defensive end up when he got the hands in under that pad level. The hand placement I thought was really good. We'll wind up hand fighting at times, reset those hands back under the pad level. So I thought the hands really did well there as well. Uh, you know, did get called for a hold as Caleb Williams was leaving the pocket. Trey, Trey Smith giving him a hard time, tried to get off his block, and uh, the hands really kept inside and, and didn't need to grab him because Caleb Williams was going to outrun him anyway. Uh, you know, I thought he did a great job pulling around, looked very athletic, able to seal off the linebacker to seal, uh, to spring Austin Jones on a 37-yard run. So I thought that was there, but I, I just think that Jonah Monheim, you know, the growing pains. He, he didn't give up a sack at all at right tackle, really looked a lot more uh, complete and, and struggled at times in this game for sure. Um, the center, Justin Dietrich, you know, this is a guy that, you know, again, he's, he's an, the emotional leader. 37th game. This was a guy that I thought did a really good job holding the point of attack, the snap, and then the hands right under the pad level. Really good leverage. Um, you saw some good leg drive in the run game. Um, able to drive the defensive tackle, especially in the in goal line situations. Two-yard touchdown by Austin Jones. Really able to clear out the space for him. Dorian Singer, the receiver, wanted to see just how they were going to spread the, the love around. There were some guys that didn't see the ball thrown their way nearly as often as, as others. But what I liked with Dorian Singer was he, he looks the part. He was able to separate from the corner on a post, flattens out the route, able to catch the pass right out in front of him, turn up the field for a 13-yard touchdown, ran another post to start the second half, flattens out again on that route, uh, cutting inside, off the corner, another 16-yard catch, able to extend the ball for the ball low and away as well. Um, so I, I think the body control, his uh, the catch radius, those are things that jumped off when you watched him at Arizona, and you see that again here with USC. Um, you know, four catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Um, you know, Mario Williams didn't get a ton of, uh, of looks his way, just two catches for 26 yards. Did have the ball go through his hands on a short throw, so a concentration drop there. But later on, runs, runs down the, the seam from the slot, wide open, extends for the pass. You know, really, really a little high, but was able to extend for that ball. 30-yard gain on a fourth and three play. Uh, so you were able to see that that hook up there between Williams and and uh, and, and Williams. And uh, you know, the, the, obviously, when you talk about USC, you talk about the passing game. You, you see Z Zachariah Branch and how special he can be. And then on the kick return. I mean, he looks so much like Reggie Bush. This is a guy who's a true freshman playing in his first collegiate game. 96-yard kickoff return. You know, really changed speeds. You saw him kind of slow play things at first. And then the explosiveness to really just that sudden acceleration to, to take it to the house. And then the cutback 
at the sideline, a la Reggie Bush against Fresno State back in the day. Um, you know, I think USC has something special there. The running backs, you know, Austin Jones had a couple of touchdowns. I thought um, what you saw out of uh, Marshawn Lloyd was the ability to, you know, show up, bring some physicality to his runs, being able to, to get downhill, um, the leg drive, being able to run through contact. And then went with Austin Jones, ran with a good forward lean, patient to wait for the pulling uh, offensive lineman. You'd see him, you know, make a catch in the flat, physical to finish. So showing off the, the versatility there. Uh, so I, I thought the running backs look solid for the Trojans as well. Uh, when you get to the defensive side of the football, obviously there's some work that still needs to be done defensively. That's going to be the big struggle for them. Um, and, and I think that's something that they're going to have to continue to, to build upon. I think Alex Grinch just got way too comp complicated. There was a, a blown coverage and uh, really was trying to run an inverted cover too. And uh, you know just really didn't need to do that down by the goal line. Especially, uh, you know, you've got Max, Max Williams, uh, a guy that I think... You know, really sh didn't have any business trying to cover uh, the big receiver Nick Nash on the outside. Um, 6'3 guy, converted quarterback, a guy that you know I think actually brings a, a nice skill set to the position, especially with them being without Justin Lockhart. Um, but uh, there, there were some good things, I, I think for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got some of the underclassmen, Anthony Lucas. Uh, looks like he's going to be a, a terror off the edge. Had a couple of tackles for loss. Bear Alexander just seemed to, to live in the in the backfield, getting quick penetration, using the hands really well, flushing Shevin Cordero. The problem was was as he flushed Shevin Cordero from the pocket, you know the, the spy that they had, which was uh, Mason Cobb, the transfer from Oklahoma State. He just wasn't fast enough to get to the edge. Shevin Cordero was beating him time and time again. He just wasn't fast enough. And I think that's the thing that's really going to be the Achilles heel there for uh, you know, Mason Cobb. This is a guy that I think can scrape over the top and be able to, to get outside. But when he's actually asked to uh, chase down a quarterback or chase down a guy with speed, he just doesn't have the speed and that second gear to be able to do that. He's much better coming downhill and, and allowing him to do that than having to cover sideline to sideline. That's really where I, I think he struggled at times. Um, you know, I thought that Jaleel Muhammad looked pretty good rushing the quarterback. You know, that was something that we were wanting to see. I wasn't sure. This guy was a converted quarterback uh, at one point, the transfer from Georgia State. Um, you know, runs by the left tackle backside, hits Shevin Cordero as he's trying to throw. Um, there was a throw into the boundary, able to beat the block on the perimeter and wrap up uh, the ball carrier short of the first down as well. You just saw nice speed, consistent speed coming off the edge. He's 6'1", 250 pounds. Um, so he's one of those hybrid types. Is he really a defensive end, a guy that can put his hand in the dirt? Probably not. But one of the things that I do like is is that, that ability to uh, get after the passer as one of those stand-up defensive ends. That's something that I think definitely jumps out to me. And then there's Kalen Bullock. You know, the 6'3", 185-pound safety. This was a guy that on the back end 50 coverage snaps according to Pro Football Focus, just one catch allowed, minus six yards. And this was a guy, too, that was coming downhill. You saw him take out the legs of the running back, Kyrie Robinson, uh, keeping him one sh uh, one yard shy of a first down. Kalen Bullock, to me, is going to be one of the top three or four safeties in the draft should he decide to come out. You see the ball skills, obviously, from last year, uh, but being able to put everything together, show more coverability, show more of an, uh, you know, the physicality in the run game, I think he's becoming a much more complete player on the back end for the Trojans. Now, San Jose State, I'll tell you what, Brett Brennan 
has a team that uh, man they were they were gutty. I thought that that Chevin Cordero look you know threw for 198 yards, three touchdowns, also 52 yards on the ground. Did end up fumbling in the game, so ball security is a little bit of a concern. But this was a guy that I thought you know all the games that played that he played 47 total games definitely showed up. Uh, a guy that I thought uh, you know the the athleticism allowing himself to, to buy some additional time. You saw his ability to manipulate the pocket a little bit. You saw some touch, uh, especially on on a uh, you know a fade to Nick Nash, the big, like I said, the big 6'3 receiver. Uh, Chevin Cordero is not a guy that's going to get drafted. Uh, let's make you know, no mistake about that, but he's a guy that I think could end up working his way onto a roster, whether it's on a practice squad or potentially being a third quarterback on a team. Uh, I, I think the veteran presence is absolutely there. This is a guy that I think you know, moving to San Jose State uh, from Hawaii was probably the best thing for Chevin Cordero. And keep an eye out for this offense. They're going to get Justin Lockhart back, as I said. Nick Nash is starting to really emerge on the outside as a receiver. And then Kyrie Robinson, look, nine carries, just 28 yards, but did have the touchdown. He's a he's a small guy, diminutive running back, but a guy that you know showed some explosiveness. A guy that you know will run through contact at times. Um, the ability to get outside. I think San Jose State's a team that could contend in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, but the guy for me that you know was really my favorite player to watch for the, the Spartans on the outside uh, that was what well, was Trey Smith. And Trey Smith is a guy that actually looks like a, you know a NFL prospect. He's six five, two hundred fifty five pounds. Um, you know he's a guy that is draft eligible. He may decide that he wants to come back. But you watch the handwork, um, his ability to. Work off of Jonah Monheim's block, as I said, you know, forced the hold as Caleb Williams was getting out of the pocket. Fires off the ball, gets his hands into the chest of Monheim, drove him all the way back to, to Caleb Williams, and that was when uh, you know the linebacker was able to shoot inside and was able to get the sack with him. Um, uses the hands again. The hands were were active and often using uh, using those to get to Caleb Williams. There was a third and eight play earlier in the game. Took an inside rush, shot the gap between the right tackle Michael Tarquin and the right guard Jarek Kingston. Straight to Caleb Williams, forced an intentional grounding and a punt. I'll tell you what, with USC, Michael Tarquin, Jarek Kingston, the newcomers from Florida and Washington State, respectively, I thought the two of them struggled. Um, you know, Michael Tarquin ultimately had Mason Murphy taking over for him. Um, you know, and with Jarek Kingston, he didn't even start. It was Gino Quinones. We also saw that uh, Emmanuel Pregnon. Um, shot, saw some time at right guard. Um, look, there's a freshman starting at left guard, Alani Noah, a guy who's an absolute beast, is going to be a stud for the Trojans. You know, I, I thought Tarquin, I thought uh, you know Kingston, both seniors, both guys that played well for their respective programs. They, they came into this game, and I thought they struggled to really hold up. And uh, I thought Trey Smith really did did well for himself, a guy that looks like a a stud. And I'm really excited to see what he can do in uh, in Mountain West play. Now you get to Notre Dame, and obviously this is the first game of the of the season, playing in Dublin, Ireland, Aviva Stadium. I mean, you want to talk about a facility? That place is absolutely gorgeous. And then obviously you've got the quarterback Sam Hartman. Now Sam Hartman, the transfer from Wake Forest. This is a guy. Look, you know, over 13,000 uh, career passing yards. Comes in though, team captain as a grad transfer. This guy. Over 3,500 career snaps going into the game. You, you see the uh, the the experience. This is a guy that you know the poise under pressure. 
really didn't, you know, there was a free rusher that hit him, um, you know, hit him in the back, reads off the corner versus the out route, delivers a strike to the receiver, um, you know, as he was delivering the football. There was a touch throw to Jaden Greathouse to beat the corner up the field, drops it in right over the shoulder with the linebacker right at his feet, was able to put that ball, the touch throws. That's one of the things. He doesn't have the best arm strength, but he has tremendous touch. You see the, the, the pocket presence, his ability to work through his progressions. That's something that I, I think was absolutely there. This is a guy, look, uh, you know, he's going to he, – he'll get dr himself drafted. And when you think of Brock Purdy, you think of a guy who, you know, Mr. Irrelevant to the starting quarterback there for the 49ers. And the reason why they ended up trading uh, Trey Lance, you know, obviously Sam Darnold in there as, as the backup quarterback as well. But with Brock Purdy, there was a ton of veteran – Ability there at Iowa State, the veteran presence, a lot of games played, you know, just a very intelligent quarterback, not the biggest arm by any means, would get himself into trouble at times because that offensive line wouldn't always hold up. You saw the same thing with Sam Hartman at Wake Forest. And I just I look at Sam Hartman and I feel you know some of those similarities there with, with Brock Purdy. I think Purdy might be a better athlete than Hartman, but uh, you know, look. Uh, Hartman, just a great story. You know, had that genetic defect in his thyroid. There was a scar in his neck, caused an abscess to grow right around his left clavicle, which you know had the the shoulder scar tissue. Uh, the damage caused a, a blood clot in his ribs over time. Had the surgery, uh, which caused him to miss games uh, early on in, in the season uh, last year. He's back. He's healthy, and uh, I, I think Sam Hartman's a guy that, looking forward to the season. Um, you know, I think if Notre Dame wants to compete for uh, a potential playoff berth, Sam Hartman's going to have to be the guy. And uh, I, I look at, at, at Hartman. He may not be the first quarterback, the second, might, may not even be the, the eighth quarterback taken. But like Brock Purdy, he's the guy that I think, can, you know, with the right system and the right offense, we could see Sam Hartman uh, starting for an NFL franchise sooner rather than later. In the backfield, uh, Audric Estime, 5'11", 227 pounds. Uh, this is a guy I thought he was very patient as a runner uh, for his blockers. Tough to bring down once those shoulders are square. Excellent contact balance. The vision to read his blocks on the outside and cut inside the receivers as well. Showed decent hands out of the backfield. Uh, some ball security. You know, there's some trouble fumbling last year. Did fumble in this game as well. But, man, once this guy gets downhill, once he squares those shoulders, he's so physical, so tough to bring down. He was an interesting, uh, you know, it was it was a lot of fun to watch number seven. And then Joe Alt, they're at that left tackle spot. Such an easy mover and pass protection. Stays low and climbing to the second level as well. So that's one of the things that you'll see a lot of times pad level will creep up. You're standing upright and you really can't make a block on a guy. He was able to climb to the second level, stay under control, stay low, and be able to be effective in space. Very good lateral agility. The hand placement under the pad level generates a lot of movement. Um, slides inside on the defensive end. Then as the defensive tackle looping around on the stunt, really quick change of direction skills, lateral agility, easily picks them up. Um, just very easy, very patient with his hands. Shoots them inside when he needs to. And uh, you know uses that length to his to his advantage. You know going up against Navy, you weren't going to be really tested, but uh, it was really nice to see that that athleticism really on display defensively for Notre Dame. I mean the guys that I were I was watching, uh, J.D. Bertrand, the linebacker, 6'4", 
232, uh, 190 tackles in his career, led the, the team in tackles the last two seasons. Um, wraps up really well, team captain. Uh, the speed to the perimeter, I think he takes really good angles. Um, but I think he has average speed laterally, and, and that was something that I think got exposed at times. Jack Kaiser, 6'1", 232 as well. Uh, this is a guy that you know flew around, made a lot of plays, would, would shoot in off the edge and, and run down ball carriers. Uh, but he also hit the, the slot back, Brandon Chapman, um, up high, running back able to shake free for four yards. He's got to drop that, 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 that launch point, if you will, really be able to wrap up and uh, not to hit, hit a, the, the target so high. At the next level, they're just going to run right through that. And we still saw that with Brandon Chapman as well. Um, if you look at Navy, you know, Daba Fofana had, had a fumble in the game, did have 32 yards, a guy that you know showed his ability to get to the perimeter. But this was a team that was just outclassed and outmatched. Um, the offensive line up front really struggled. They couldn't throw the ball very well. Uh, just three yards passing there for, for Vi Lavatai. Uh, so I, this was a team that... Again, very overmatched. I think Navy's going to struggle to win a lot of games. You know, they do have the the triple option, but this is a team. Again, I, I just I didn't see enough from them to make me say, yeah, this is a team that's going to win six games and become bowl eligible. Now you had Jacksonville State, their first game um, in FBS, taking on UTEP at home, and you know Jacksonville State, 17 to 14 winners. Um, you know, I was a little bit surprised at, at the outcome with this game, but um, you know, I'll tell you, Zion Webb running the Rich Rod offense. You know, you saw the explosiveness—a guy that uh, that has really good speed. Um, they're not going to be a huge threat throwing the football. Just 67 yards passing for Zion. Um, you know, really, the, the the guy that I was inter most interested in was the Richard sophomore corner, Derek Carter. Uh, good cover corner on the outside. This is a guy that. Um, you know, would turn turn and run with with the receiver Kelly uh, Akayari. Um, you know, beaten by a step, ball put over the receiver's shoulder. Stayed calm, didn't panic, gets a hand in, breaks up the pass on a third third and one play. Uh, comes downhill as the running back for UTEP, Dion Hankins, tried to make a lateral cut, bounces to the outside, able to wrap him up for no gain. I I really liked his skill set. He was a guy that I thought, you know, like I said, physical coming downhill. But then also the ability to uh, to drop into coverage and make plays on the football. I think they're going to have a good one there in Derek Carter. Um, UTEP, you know, Gavin Hardison has the arm strength and has the ability, but there are a lot of just poor decisions uh, that were made. Tried to fit passes into, into windows that just weren't there. Um, I thought he struggled at times, and obviously it showed. Uh, you know, Deion Hankins, the running back, 54 yards and a touchdown on the game. Uh, the leg drive just keeps churning out yards. He's got these huge legs, squats 660 pounds. He's not super elusive, lacks the top-end gear, but the dude added 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason, um, so definitely a load to bring down. You see the burst. That's really the biggest thing. He's got a burst to hit the hole, not very agile laterally, tries to bounce it outside, but he's unable to slip the tackles to try to get that bounce. As he's coming downhill, you know, once he gets gets that that big body moving at six foot, two hundred twenty six pounds, he's coming downhill and downhill in a hurry. He's a redshirt junior, so expect him to be back there at UTEP. Wanted to see what Tyron Smith, their little 5'7", 170 pound receiver, was going to do. Um, you know, over sixteen hundred yards and eleven touchdowns in his career. Transferred to AM before coming back to the program. Um, showed he was able to go down and get the ball 
toward, toward the sideline, but just five catches for 38 yards. Never really got a chance to be explosive. Um, really the best draft prospect for UTEP is Prince uh, Amewule. Uh, he's 6'3", 250 pounds. I thought he did a decent job at times setting the edge of the run game. Um, you saw the speed off the edge. You know, He actually threw the left tackle, Will Osteen, aside. Got straight to the quarterback for a sack on the first drive of the game. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, Decent setting the edge at the beginning of the game, but he really struggled in that area throughout. Uh, they, they started to run right at him. Didn't really take advantage of, of his, you know, his quickness you know, to chase down a running back because it was coming right at him. And, and so I thought that was really a nice game plan there by, by Rich Rod. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things to where, you know, he, he beats the left tackle off, off the ball, runs the arc, beats that, you know, really didn't get a hand on him, uses the hand to clear, nearly gets a hit on the quarterback. So you saw some flashes of him turning the corner, getting to the quarterback. Like I said, he did have a sack, but anytime that running back, uh, would try to bounce it and get out there and they're running his direction. He really struggled to to get off the block and they were able to get to the perimeter. Uh, just time and time again, just getting late, late to the party. You'd have a linebacker or a safety that would miss the block on the outside or the tackle on the outside and there'd be a big gain. Uh, you know, Malik Jackson had uh, 13 carries for 76 yards and a score, and most of those were being able to bounce that run to the outside, running at Prince Amewule. Um, I, I thought you know Tyrese Knight, the linebacker, middle linebacker, 6'2", 235. You saw good range, sideline to sideline. He's going to chase down ball carriers, um, able to turn and run with the running backs on the wheel route, showing the ability to cover down the field. He's a guy that I want to continue to watch especially as they get into uh, you know, the, the, the bulk of the season going up against uh, you know, Conference USA foes. He's a guy that I think could surprise, potentially slide his way into the draft conversation. 13 tackles, uh, a half tackle for loss in the game. Um, you know, he's just one of those guys that continued to flash. You're watching, and number 10 was all over the field making plays. So you know, he's the guy that if there's going to be somebody from the minors that we're talking about not named Prince Amewule, I think it should be Tyrus Knight. Which takes us to UMass and New Mexico State. Uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, Aggie Memorial Stadium. And uh, this game started out 13-10, kind of a ho-hum game. It wound up in, being a shootout with the Minutemen, winning the game 41-30. And I'll tell you what, Don Brown found his quarterback in Tyson Pumachon. Uh, you know, 10-17 for 192 yards, but then also 17 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown. Um, he's very athletic on the outside. He's only a junior, so he's going to come back for one more year. Started at Clemson and then moved his way to Georgia Tech before, again, finding the home there at UMass. Uh, and look, this is a kid... He, he, he doesn't have a, uh, you know, he's kind of a, a slightly built 6'4", two, uh, 215, um, but he's he's athletic. Um, he's a guy that um, can make those throws to the wide side of the field. You definitely see that. You see the arm strength, um, you know, but really the, the weapon were the, the legs. That's really where he was making, uh, you know, giving some trouble there for, for the defense. Uh, you saw his ability to run through contact keep the balance there. He wasn't very efficient as a passer on third down. Um, I thought that was something where he really struggled. But you, you saw the, the patience uh, waiting for receivers to uh, to get open. Wasn't rushing his throws. You saw the pocket presence to step up in the pocket. 
Uh, there was a tight window throw, really threaded the needle, really good arm strength hit Christian Wells between the corner and the linebacker on a post. Receiver made the catch, bounced off, and, and took it down the field for a 68-yard run. The very next play had an 11-yard touchdown. Play action, read the defensive, defensive end to the outside, cut off the right tackle block, and then back outside to avoid the linebacker. Speed to the end zone. Um, you know, I, I thought that Anthony Simpson, a transfer from Arizona, one of eight transfers uh, to come from the Wildcats. Uh, another guy who's only a junior, 5'11", 180 pounds, very reliable weapon, speed on the outside, also attacking the middle of the field. Three receptions of 15-plus yards. This is a guy who was also showing speed coming off the edge on an end around. Uh, I think Anthony Simpson is going to be one of those guys that we're talking about. Uh, you know, he has that potential, you know, the explosiveness. Only three catches, but for 65 yards, two carries for 27 yards, and the touchdown. Um, look, you know, UMass, they just continued to to move the football. They were very impressive. Like I said, Tyson Pumachon, um, you know, finally has a home. Um, the guy that I was really curious to see play was, was Billy Wooden, the 6'1", 310-pound uh, junior defensive tackle. You saw the athleticism, some short area burst to get Diego Pavia in the pocket. Uh, got a five-yard sack uh, out of it. He really used the hands to slap, rip through once he cleared the left guard. Had that short area burst to get to the quarterback. Uh, you know, Had the non-contact injury a season ago against Army, but he's back and fully healthy. And then Michael Opong, the safety, another junior. Transfer from Bryant, playing the Viber position. Um, you know, read the quarterback eyes on, on a, a curl route to the receiver. Ball was thrown a little bit high. Able to close, pop the ball in the air. Concentration to then haul in the pick and, and get a return out of it as well. Uh, so UMass, I, I think this is a team that can make it to a uh, to a bowl game this year. I think they've got some talent on both sides of the football. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how they continue to progress. I think you know Don Brown's a defensive genius. He's got all the guys. You know, look, Jerry Roberts Jr. was a starting middle linebacker for Arizona uh, the last couple of seasons. Now he's there with the with UMass. So I, I think the portals definitely helped him. Here's a name to to consider there for New Mexico State. Only a junior, 5'11", 195 pounds. Monte Watkins, number eight. 10 400 meter speed transfer from TCU last year. Uh, run play to the perimeter into the boundary. Gets a kick out block by the running back, Jamoni Jones. Showed the really quick acceleration down the field. Ran away from everyone on an 80 yard touchdown. It was like they fast forwarded the film um, while everybody else was, was in slow motion. Just a you know, dynamic speed and a playmaker on the outside. Um, he's the guy that I think we, we should be taking notice of because of that speed. I think they've got to get him the football a lot more. Gutty performance out of Diego Pavia, but man, just so many, um, so so many miscues, um, ill-advised throws, just inability to take care of the football. That was ultimately what what cost them the game. Um, San Diego State and Ohio. I was looking forward to seeing Curtis Rourke play, especially against the San Diego State defense. Um, and, and look, Curtis Rourke started the game eight of ten for seventy-five yards. And uh, I was thinking, okay, this is we've got something here. Um, he was really quick to get the ball out, accurate on the move. Did put one ball on, you know, it was a slant on the back shoulder of the receiver. The corner was able to make a play on it. But I think the ball jumps out of his hand a little bit. You see the arm strength. He does go through his progressions. Sometimes he is a little slow to come off his primary. But he was injured on a sack by, by Zyrus Fiesau. Um, sat out the remainder of the game. It seems like it's for precautionary measures. Um, 
the, the coach Tom Alvin said that he did have a little bit of a limp. Um, Rourke, you know, according to Alvin, he wasn't really happy with the coaches for keeping him out. But look, you know, when you have have your your uh, your star quarterback tearing his ACL, uh, you're going to take those precautionary measures. You know, especially with this being game one. C.J. Harris, I think, struggled there at the quarterback position. That really uh, kind of changed the whole tide, the whole conversation there for Ohio. But Sam Wigless is a guy that, look, you know, uh, they, they mentioned on the broadcast, Hunter Renfro. I, that's exactly who I see. Six foot, 183 pounds. Uh, he's reliable, a sure-handed target, just a knack for getting open, very clean route runner, excellent adjustment to the ball thrown on his back shoulder, was running the slant, able to adjust in the air by reaching back and plucking the ball out of the air. Uh, just the hands, the, the ability to get himself open, precise route running, um, He's a guy that I think is going to find a home at the next level. Uh, Ten catches, 103 yards. I wouldn't be surprised if you know if he doesn't have a uh, you know a huge year over a thousand yards. He and, and Curtis Rourke can really get things working. I, I think having Jacoby Jones back as well is going to help this this offense. And uh, I think Ohio is going to be a force in the MAC defensively. Bryce Houston is a stud, number 32, six foot, 100, uh, 246 pounds, uh, 13 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. Really, you know, kind of a free defender at times, moving around to fill gaps, shoot in there, wrap up the running back. He was a, you know, a will, but was also lining up inside at the mic, and uh, you know, field side runs. You know, he gets through the pulling tight end block, beats it to the inside. A little bit too high with some of his tackles. Uh, needs to watch that a little bit. But very instinctive. Shoots the alley, drops the running back right around the line of scrimmage. You know, he was covering the tight end, Mark uh, Redmond in the slot. Backpedaling, looked a little stiff. Ball thrown over his head. Tried to leap, and uh, ultimately the, the safety was able to break it up. Uh, that's not going to be his bread and butter. He's the guy that's going to come downhill. He's the guy that can scrape over the top a little bit. Um, but really, I think the biggest thing for Bryce Houston to show that he can be an eight-day three selection in the draft is that ability to to drop into coverage. Can he get after the quarterback, or is he strictly a two-down performer? If he's just a two-down guy, then I think that's where it's going to limit his production overall. I mean, in terms of uh, of draft stock. Now, San Diego State. Uh, ultimately, the winner is 20 to 13. As I mentioned, their quarterback Jalen uh, Maiden, a uh, couple of touchdown passes, and uh, you know, really the, the the guy that was the, the focal point of the offense was Mark Redmond. Five catches, 62 yards, and those two scores. Uh, ran a hesitation route, uh, six seconds to go in the first half. 13-yard touchdown. Went up the seam from the slot, about seven yards. Zone coverage behind. Really gets behind those linebackers. And then takes off to the, the end zone, makes the catch in front of the, the smaller safety. Um, excellent body control along the sideline. Uh, plant, open up, extend for the ball, throw into the sideline, pick up 11 yards. Um, there was a, a corner route, comes across, able to track the ball well, catch over his shoulder on a 23-yard pass play. Then uh, you know runs right by the, the linebacker. Um, on a four-yard touchdown, really sat behind underneath coverage on that. This is a guy who transferred in from Washington, but really the blocking was what, what really caught my eye with him. Um, gets a takedown on, on the DB, Adonis Williams, on a run play for, for Jalen Armstead. Just kind of took him and drove him into the ground. 
and then got his hands under the defensive end. Uh, Bradley Weaver on a fourth and two play, able to drive him off the ball, ultimately drive him into the ground to help spring Armstead for that first down as well. Uh, so I think you're seeing a tight end who is a complete player, in my opinion, 6'6", 255, and a guy that I think is going to continue to move up draft boards. You know, when you think of him, uh, you know, I, I think of Daniel Bellinger, only I think he's probably a better pass catcher may even end up being a better athlete so i think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch and then cody moon the transfer from new mexico um, walked on there for the lobos gained a scholarship and then now he's uh at san diego state 6'3, 210 an undersized linebacker redshirt sophomore or redshirt junior excuse me but uh, 11 tackles and a pass breakup this guy was literally everywhere number 58 for for the aztecs uh shooting downhill blitzing getting the cj harris um Ultimately, uh, made a big hit on the quarterback, uh, popped up into the air. There was a pick by the linebacker, Trey White. Very sure tackler, wraps up well. Good speed to get outside uh, on a run, run play to the boundary. Able to flip his hips, turning coverage. There was a throw over the middle to the tight end, Will Kasmerick. Uh, stops in the middle of the field, waited to use the outside arm. Uh, and really a, a nice swipe to knock the football away. That was really something that was impressive. He, he didn't run up the back of the tight end. The throw there, he stopped in the middle of the field, and ultimately he's kind of waiting, biding his time, and then ultimately reacts at the right time, chops down, makes a play on the football, uh, timed his blitz really, blitzes really well, shooting gaps, getting into the backfield. I think that was something that was really impressive as well. Uh, when I look at, at, at Cody Mood, um, he's just he's undersized, but man, he flies around and just makes a ton of plays. And he's one of those guys that I think will get a chance at the next level. Uh, offensively, the, the other guy to mention is Keenan Kristen, the transfer from USC uh, last year. 5'10", 190 pounds, just 45 yards on the ground. But you see the speed on the outside. I think that's something that San Diego State, they, they need to be able to establish and maintain a running game to kind of open up some of the passing lanes. Um, and so I, I think you really need to get Keenan Kristen going there on the outside take advantage of some of that speed uh, and let him do his thing on the perimeter. And now let's talk about Louisiana Tech and FIU. Uh, you know, I thought the Bulldogs, man, you know, they, they ended up pulling this one out 22 to 17. But uh, when you look at, at you know, when, when Grayson James throws for just four yards and FIU still had a chance to win this game, it, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, Shamari Lawrence had a, a long run. I think it was an 80-yard touchdown run to you know, at the beginning of the game. And uh, Louisiana Tech really just shooting themselves in the foot. Hank Bachmeyer struggling with a lot of his throws, some ill-advised throws. Uh, looked nervous in, in his first game there, ironically enough. Um, you know, Bachmeyer really was the guy that was coming in and, and looked at to kind of be the, the savior of that offense for Sonny Company and company, really get that offense going. And uh, you know, there, there were some struggles early and often with, with, that, uh, with the passing attack. But he really started to develop a chemistry with Smoke Harris, the diminutive one, 5'7", 183 pounds. You see the explosiveness on the outside. Uh, you know, 33 consecutive games with the reception. That's the third highest in Louisiana Tech history. Uh, just uh, eight away from Trent Taylor's record and the ninth longest current streak in the FBS. Uh, his third 100-yard game in, in this game. Um, you know, this is a guy, he just he uses the speed to get open, um, can make the first man miss, very dynamic in space, um, 
lateral quickness, able to slip the tackles. You see the stutter on the boundary to set up the wide receiver blocks and then gets up the field in a hurry. Uh, Smoke Harris uh, did have a fumble in the game, but uh, look, 11 catches, 155 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, the explosiveness and, and the playmaking ability on the perimeter is definitely something that uh, teams have to take notice of. And then FIU, I think the guy um, that has the potential to get drafted is, is Donovan Manuel, the, the 6'1", 230-pound linebacker, number 10, uh, 15 tackles and a tackle for loss on the game. Um, you know, he started his career at East Tennessee State before moving on to FIU. He saw his ability to drop into coverage, uh, decent hips and coverage there, and then ultimately when the running back comes out of the backfield, was able to quickly read, react, come back downhill to the running back and drop him in the open field. Um, so he's another one of those linebackers that I think has a chance. He's just going to have to continue to showcase his ability to be a three-down linebacker and be able to remain on the field Um uh, you know, both in, in coverage against the run and then also getting after the quarterback a little bit. So I think that's something, you know, that we're going to be watching to see if he can separate himself just a little bit. And then Vanderbilt taking on Hawaii. Look, you know, Hawaii racking up a lot of the frequent flyer miles. They fly all the way out to Nashville for the first game. I think this is the, the farthest that they're going to be traveling. Um, but uh, Vandy ends up getting it done, 35-28. Much closer game than, uh, than a season ago. Um you know, I thought with Vanderbilt, Will Shepard, obviously the go-to guy, second in the SEC a season ago with nine touchdowns. Normally a sure-handed receiver, you'd see him pluck the football out of the air, did have a, an uncharacteristic drop, hit him right in the hands, and, and you know bounced off of the hands and uh, was incomplete. Um, also muffed an onside kick, ultimately was, was called back, but you wanted to see him, uh, you know, a sure-handed receiver, you'd expect him to to look that in. So I think that's something that we're going to be looking to see if he can shake that off. Uh, but, you know, he wins at the line of scrimmage inside moves. Really what he was seeing more often than not was off coverage. Cam, uh, Cam Stone, the corner, uh, playing a good six, seven yards off. So what he would do is run his routes. Uh, the slant route was, was open all day long, uh, being able to drive across the face of the, of the corner and be able to pluck the football out of the air. Uh, ran a skinny post, ball right out in front of him, hauls it in for an 18-yard touchdown as well. Had a 27-yard pump return. Um, really the guy for me on Vanderbilt was to Ricky Wright, the safety. I mentioned him in, in, the, in the podcast, kind of setting everything up for uh, you know, not only the SEC talk, but then also uh, previewing this game. 6'4", 217 pounds, a strong safety. Uh, you know, the, the fullback, Sulu Vipulu, uh, catches a, a screen pass, takes off for 23 yards. He puts his helmet on the football for a forced fumble right there at the one-yard line. Saves a touchdown there. Same drive, actually, now from the six-yard line. He's covering the tight end, Grayson Morgan, in the slot. Uh, runs a, a corner route to the wide side, back corner of the end zone. The quarterback, Braden Shager, airs it out right trailing the tight end, put himself in a position, uh, elevates, picks off the pass, the body control to get the right foot down in the in the end zone as well. Uh, and playing the box versus a run, he'll cover the tight end in the slot, also plays deep in zone coverage, read the receiver to his left up the seam, read the quarterback's eye, slid to his left, undercutting the route, getting that second pick of the game, ultimately wound, uh, wound up winning the game there. Um, there was also a throw into the flat uh, to the running back, Landon Sims. 
uh, read the play, sprinted to the perimeter, drops running back in the open field after just a short game. Really a nice open field tackle. Read and react ability, I think, is definitely there as well for him. Uh, you know, two other guys that are underclassmen that won't, likely won't be, uh, well, Jade McGowan isn't draft eligible, but very dynamic with the ball in his hands. We'll be talking about him next year. And then another safety, CJ Taylor, 6'1, 201, only a junior, playing the anchor position, though. Nine tackles, a sack, a couple of tackles for loss, a pass breakup. Uh, linebacker safety hybrid was playing up on the line. Guy that could drop into coverage a little bit. Uh, you know, showed the ability to engage the fullback, rip underneath, turn the corner, and, and ultimately get his hand up to knock the football down. So I, I think C.J. Taylor is a guy that has a bright future as well. For Hawaii, Braden Shager is the quarterback of the present and the future. Uh, you know, he's a big reason why Hawaii was competitive in this game. Threw for 351 yards, three touchdowns, the two interceptions, definitely costly there uh, to Ricky Wright. One-man uh, army there on the back end of the defense there for uh, the Commodores. But running Timmy Chang's run-and-shoot offense to perfection, really a quick decision-maker. With time, he was picking apart Vanderbilt's defense, can make throws to the wide side in a hurry. Um, yeah, there was a, a, a post play there to, to Stephen McBride. Ball was a little bit short, and ultimately, uh, you know, the corner was able to make a play on the football. Uh, so he does need to watch that a little bit. But, you know, another time he drops back, the clean pocket, went through his progressions, unloads a perfect ball on a post to Pofele Ashlock, put the ball right out in front, allow the receiver to make a diving catch on a 50-yard pass play. So I, I think it's just, you know, more about the reps with, with Shager and the ability to continue to, to air that football out. Um, you know, on that, um, the corner route that the tight end ran, you know, he, he did double clutch it, but then you also didn't see a ton of arm strength there. I think the ball kind of hung up a little bit. And, uh, you know, Ricky Wright, um, you know, playing underneath that route, he would have had to sit there and get the ball up and over uh, right in order for the tight end Morgan to even make a play on the football. So probably not the best decision. Probably should have, um, you know, gone to a different option there, especially trying to throw to the wide side on that corner route. <coughs> Stephen McBride was a transfer from Kansas. I thought he looked like a, a you know a solid receiver for them. Could be the number one option. 6'1", 165, seven catches, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, beat uh, the corner, B.J. Anderson, on, on a vertical route, able to stack and then track the ball over his shoulder. Uh, reached out, able to, to haul on the pass for a 47-yard touchdown. Really a reliable weapon underneath as well. So I'll be curious to see kind of how his game continues to develop the senior uh, transfer. And then uh, you know, Isaiah Tufaga, the linebacker, 6'1", 220 pounds, transfer from Oregon State prior to last season. Uh, he was a guy that just continued to blitz up the middle. You'd see him stutter on the center, able to avoid the hands, swim, beats him, gets straight to the quarterback for the sack. Later on, there was a play action, was able to plant to the inside, and loop back outside, runs right by the left guard, gets straight to the quarterback. So really a good burst on the football. Eight tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss on the game for Isaiah Tufaga. Uh, you know, a guy that I thought was the best player defensively for Hawaii. And that really leads me to when you talk about Vanderbilt, they've got some players, especially on the defensive side of the football. But with that offense, A.J. Swan, um, you know, is going to need time. And that offensive line, I thought, you know, really struggled to give him that. I thought they really struggled to get any consistency on the ground. That offensive line can't play like they did against Hawaii and expect 
Vanderbilt to compete in the SEC. I think defense is going to be solid, but you know if you get a bunch of three and outs, you're just going to have the defense on the field all the time, and you know after a while, they're definitely going to struggle to make plays. Uh, so that's something that I think we definitely have to watch out for for Vanderbilt. Um, now I, I mentioned Thursday night games. I got to watch all of those as well, and uh, I'll tell you the first game that I watched was UCF and Kent State. John Rice Plumley. Um, you know, this is a guy that is a tremendous athlete. I think that's one of the things that is, is very apparent. You know, this is a two-sport guy. Um, you know, the, the ability to get outside the pocket, make plays. Um, look, he had, uh, what, eight carries. I, I think it was uh, 90 yards and a touchdown. Um, also 281 yards passing, three touchdowns. Did have a couple of picks on the day. Um, you know, I, I think he's a tremendous athlete. He's a guy that um, I, I think struggles though as a quarterback at times. You know, that's one of the things that you'll see. Uh, there was some accuracy, but you know, was very careless with the football uh, on a fumble that he had. Uh, he did start the game with six, you know six to seven passing, but really it's it's his feet that you know allowing him to extend the plays. Uh, he did hit a couple of receivers, but uh, I wasn't overly impressed with him as a passer. Um, Javon Baker was a guy that I was really looking forward to seeing play, and he was pretty quiet for the first half. Still ended up with four catches for 59 yards. Uh, a guy that I think separates from the corners with his route running ability. Um, you know, a guy that also showed pretty good, uh, pretty good hands. Uh, you know, I, I think the best play for him was uh, Plumley. You know, rolls out to buy time, able to move with him. Uh, Finds an opening, makes the catch, then plants and cuts it back to the inside of the corner with a good burst down the field. I think that was like 18, 19 yards. Um, so Baker's a guy to continue to watch there at the receiver position. Um, but really, uh, the, the the guy that was the the stud kind of a breakout was was R.J. Harvey. Um, R.J. Harvey is is a senior. I had to go back and take a look, and, and he is a senior. He's 5'8", 195 pounds. Good strength between the tackle. Doesn't go down to first contact. Spun out of a tackle and fell forward. There's a backward pass to him, but there's a ton of pressure. Uh, so he had to spin away from the defensive tackle. Oliver Balot avoided two more tacklers to end up still picking up seven yards. It looked like the play was going to get blown up. Um, ball thrown on the back shoulder up the seam. Was able to adjust the pass, get around, and the speed to the end zone for a 50-yard touchdown. Then there was a 52-yard pass. Uh, follows the blockers, you know, really run play was probably going to go inside, but instead he takes it outside off tackle, uh, cuts inside the receiver block, and then shows that gear, uh, second gear to get it to the house. So, uh, you know, the speed, that's definitely something that, that you're going to be watching, and then the ability to catch the football out of the backfield a little bit as well. Tylen Grable, the 6'7", 290-pound left tackle, thought he showed decent hand placement on, on pass protection, kick slide uh, as well. The defensive end shot his hands on him first, but he was able to use that length to really extend and nullify any progress. Um, the kick slide uh, was definitely there, but it was there was an interesting play where the defensive end kind of extends his arms, and uh, he takes his right arm and chops down on the arm of the defensive end and ultimately gets him to the ground. Um, so I thought that was definitely interesting. And then on an end around, you saw some athleticism, his ability to get down the field, got an, uh, a downfield block on the defensive back to help Xavier Townsend on a 28-yard run. Um, you know, he was a transfer from Jacksonville State before the season uh, last year. He just needed to clean up the footwork and pass protection. That's really the main note that I had, so that's something that I'm going to continue to watch. Um, 
I thought John Selesgar on defense was probably their best player overall. Uh, seven tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. Uh, he and, and, and Lee Hunter, the the, def the nose tackle, eight tackles and a sack, very active. It was getting outside on the perimeter, uh, making plays against the, the quarterback, Michael Alimo. Uh, but John Selesgar, 6'4", 265, good job holding the point. Um, against the run, very active on the outside. He'll stand up at the rush end on, on third downs as well. Uh, there's a play where he attacked the right tackles, outside shoulder, the power, extends those hands into the shoulder pad, shoves him to the inside, able to pressure the quarterback with Trayvon uh, Morris Brash. Uh, Morris Brash is 6'2", uh, 245 pounds, likely going to be an outside linebacker at the next level, but uh, you know, three tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. I thought he was most effective as a stand-up edge rusher. Um, so those were the guys that stood out to me for UCF. And then with Kent State, look, they were overmatched on the offensive side. Um, you know, Michael Alimo had some open receivers, missed a lot of his targets. Uh, you know, that's really one of the things I want to see is UCF's defense, especially that secondary, matching up against a team with a, a quarterback that's that's accurate within the pocket. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, DeCorian Patterson wasn't really uh, tested on the outside. We didn't, you know, Jason Johnson, their, ta their middle linebacker who racked up 126 tackles a season ago. He didn't really have to do a whole lot of this game. Uh, Devin Single, uh, I'm sorry, Kent State, Devin Nicholson, 6'2", 220 pounds, transferred from Missouri, played 39 games with them. He was spying John Rice Pumley all game. Uh, you saw him shoot gaps. Um, did a good job actually chasing down and wrapping up R.J. Harvey in the open field. 13 tackles, a couple of tackles for loss for him. I think Devin Nicholson now, you know, being able to start and have a prominent role there for Kent State um, is going to bode well for him and his future. Um, NC State ultimately taking down Connecticut. Um, Brandon Armstrong, you know, 17 to 26 for just 155 yards. It was a 96 car uh, 96 carries. Um, I'm sorry, 96 yards on 19 carries and two touchdowns that ultimately helped propel NC State to the win. Uh, I thought Brendan Armstrong, um, you know, just looked like an average passer. I didn't see anything really flashy from him, nothing that, uh, you know, really wowed you. But it was the, the zone reads. You saw his ability to, to make plays uh, as a runner, very athletic, dynamic. You know, he's, he's reunited with Robert and I from, from their time in Virginia. 405 passing yards per game in 2021. Um, you know, really the question is, is does he have anybody at the receiver position? You know, he's got Keon Lassane, Julian Gray, Porter Rooks. I just don't know that he has the talent at the receiver position. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he's developed enough chemistry there as well. Um, it, it's something that I think is going to be a work in progress, but his athleticism was really what, uh, what won the game, I think, on the offensive side there for NC State. Defensively, obviously, Peyton Wilson is going to be the dude. 6'4", 240, uh, tremendously athletic. Um, you know, you saw him scraping over the top quickly, exploding forward, driving through the ball carrier, wraps up well. Um, there was a uh, just very fluid mover in space, dropping into coverage. An underneath throw to the running back, drives quickly, slings down the running back for no yak, only a gain of a couple of yards. Then you see him drop into the middle of, field, of the field in zone coverage. Reads the quarterback's eyes as the receiver from the slot runs a, an in-breaking route. Good hips slide, opens up, and then turns to his right and ultimately picks off the football in zone coverage. Ten tackles, a TFL, a pass breakup, and that interception. Uh, Peyton Wilson doing his thing. But when we talk about linebacker play in this game, we got to see another really strong 
linebacker in Jackson Mitchell, number eight, 15 tackles on the day, one and a half tackles for loss, and a pass breakup, a guy that just racks up tackles, 133 tackles, I believe, a season ago. And, uh, you know, the year before that had 120 tackles, six and a half for loss, one and a half sacks. Uh, but this is a guy that I thought showed pretty fluid hips, his ability to uh, flip them and, and turn and run in coverage. You saw the pre-snap reads, understanding run, scraping over the top, got right around the, the center, Dylan McMahon, a guy that I think is a bona fide center at the next level, uh, able to drop the running back in the open field, wraps him up. Uh, he did float it to meet uh, the running back, Michael Allen, in the hole. Tried to tackle too high, uh, right around the shoulder pad. Running back was able to get through that tackle. Um, but, you know, he th there was another play uh, where he drops into coverage, zone coverage, uh, receiver post on a third nine, reads the quarterback's eyes, undercuts the route, dies, nearly came up with the interception. Ball just went right off of his fingers. Jackson Mitchell's one of the better linebackers that people aren't really talking about. He'll probably be a day three guy, mid to late day three. You know, I look at a guy like Tyler Matikavich, who had over 400 tackles in his career at Temple. Nobody really um, talked about him in the pre-draft process, but a guy that just had it, had the instincts, a guy that um, knew where the football was going to be, was always making plays on the football, um, and really was one of my favorite players to watch uh, in college because of that. And you know, this is a guy. He's kind of been a journeyman. He's played at a few different places, um, you know, with uh, the Steelers, the Bills. Um, but he always seems to find himself a home because he's been such a beast in, in the special teams. Seventh round pick, 246 overall, limited athletically, but again, 493 tackles, 40 and a half going for loss, seven sacks, seven interceptions, 11 pass breakups. The guy did a little bit of everything. And, and when I look at Jackson Mitchell, obviously coming from UConn, you know, an independent team, 6'2", 239. So, you know, versus, you know, you compare him to Matikiewicz, who's 6'1", 232, right around the same size. Uh, you know, Jackson might be a little bit taller. Uh, but look, you look at Jackson, uh, 319 uh, tackles in his career, 17 and a half for loss, six and a half sacks, two interceptions, six pass breakups going into this game, 15 tackles yet again. Um, you know, could have three straight years with uh, triple digit tackles. Um, just keep an eye out for Jackson Mitchell. He's a guy that I think will end up making a roster. Uh, if nothing else, he'll be playing special teams, but you love the instincts. You love his ability to fly around and make plays on the football. Uh, one other guy to mention is going to be Eric Watts. Uh, the defensive end had five tackles in this game. Really a good job pursuing the, the ball carrier from the backside. Uh, also saw some power in his hands to shove his man up the field, come off the block, get some pressure on, uh, on Brendan Armstrong. And I mentioned Dylan McMahon. This is a guy um, that... Uh, I'd be remiss if I, I, I didn't speak about him just a little bit. Um, you'd see the snap very quick uh, to then get out. You know, he'd find Jackson Mitchell and seal him off to the outside on a run off the middle. The running back would kind of run off of his hip. And what he was doing was he'd get out there to that middle linebacker, Jackson Mitchell, make sure he wasn't going to make a play on it and uh, be able to turn him. Uh, 33 starts in his career. Uh, a guy that is going to be playing at the next level that's I think there's really no question about that I think you're definitely going to be seeing him uh, he's going to be a center that, that we're going to be talking about the question really is just going to be uh, whether or not he comes out because he's a junior but uh, I think there's a chance that we could see him especially if there's conversation about him potentially sneaking his way into the first four rounds of the draft uh, 
you know, there was that play that Jackson Mitchell, um, you know, was able to get right around him and, and to Jordan Houston. So I think that was the matchup and the dynamic that you were seeing. And uh, I thought for the most part he was getting the better of, of Jackson Mitchell, but that one play on, on Justin Houston wrapping him up for the tackle for loss, uh, Mitchell was able to, uh, to one-up him there in the middle of the defense there. Uh, Nebraska and Minnesota different coach same type of a situation Nebraska going down to Minnesota last second field goal losing 13 to 10 um, Jeff Sims a lot of people hyped up Jeff Sims as potentially the number three quarterback in this draft a lot of people had him as as a first round quarterback can we just stop that conversation please uh, this is a guy that he needed to improve his, his completion percentage you see the athleticism that's apparent 19 carries for our 91 yards but just 11 of 19, 114 yards, a touchdown, but three interceptions. Just ill-advised throws. Um, you know, Tyler Newbin, we'll talk about him in a second. He had two picks. There was one that uh, he got hit, you know, as he was throwing, so it wasn't really his fault. Uh, but there were a lot of a lot of close calls, uh, trying to fit it into windows where it just it just wasn't there. Uh, I just I don't see Jeff Sims as a viable option as a quarterback in this year's draft. He's got another year of eligibility, so I think you know we see him take that, stay another year in Lincoln and develop. Uh, but right now, I just don't see him as a quarterback that that has any draftable qualities um, outside of just that overall athleticism. But to play the quarterback position, I just I don't see it right now out of Jeff Sims. Uh, Luke Reimer, the linebacker, had a had a sack, five tackles on the day. A guy that uh, you know, look, he, he's going to fly around and make plays. He's he's the leader of that defense. Um, you know, he was without his running mate Nick H uh, Henrik. The tore that ACL, wasn't all the way back, didn't play in this game. Um, but Minnesota, man, that defense. That's a that, that's one of the better defenses in the Big Ten. And when we talk about Tyler Newbin, again, the guy that has first round potential, had four interceptions last year, but you're watching him, you know, over the top of a, a crossing route. Jeff Sims tries to go in that direction. Uh, pressured by the defensive tackle, uh, Devin Eastern, ball kind of sails. Newman was able to come up with a pick there, extended for the football. Kind of went through his chest, but he was still able to kind of haul in that pick as he went to the ground. Had another pick later on in the game. Um, to me, I, I look at Tyler Newman, the size, 6'2", 210 pounds, his ability to drop into coverage, um, you know, the physicality is a guy that's going to run the alley and, and wants to come, you know, come downhill, get physical against the run. Um, definitely a guy that's going to be one of the top safeties in this draft. You know, I mentioned uh, Kalen Bullock. I think Tyler Newman um, might have a leg up on him. You know, he's got a little bit more size to him. It's just really the fluidity of the game. And, and I think Newman has that, you know. Uh, so it's not just the size, but his ability to to flow and, and make plays and, and be able to flip his hips when he needs to. But uh, the other guy um, for for Minnesota that I was really impressed with was the cor the junior corner Justin Wally, number five, five eleven, one hundred ninety pounds. There was an underneath throw to the receiver Alex Bullock. Showed he wasn't afraid of, of contact coming downhill. Big open field tackle on the receiver, one yard shy of the first down, forced a punt. Uh, Jeff Sims was trying to hit a, a receiver on a curl route. Ball was thrown kind of to the outside, right where he was. There was really no separation. So he was able to drive on that football, undercut it, make a diving play on the ball. Nearly had a pick. Eight tackles and a pass breakup on the day for Justin Wally. 
So he's definitely a guy that I think we should be keeping an eye out for. Uh, on the offensive side, I think Sean Tyler is a guy that they're going to need to get going early and often in the running game. Um, only had 10 carries, 41 yards. A guy that had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons at Western Michigan. Um, you know, uh, Ethan Kaliak-Manis, the quarterback, 196 yards and a touchdown, also threw a pick. Um, a guy that uh, you know, was going to make some plays with his legs as well. Um, you know, not anything special there at the quarterback position, but a guy, he's going to be a good game manager, I think, for them. Just needs to cut down on the mistakes. Um, reason why I bring Kaliak Manis in is I, I think he brings that athleticism to that offense that Tanner Morgan did not, which I think is going to bode well for the receivers, especially the tight end, Bre- uh, Brevin Span Ford. 6'7", 260, a monster there on the outside. First catch of the game, uh, turns right around, uses that big body to make the catch. Uses the big frame in the, in the ground game as well. I saw him extend his arms into the defensive end, Blaze Gunnarsson. Uh, Use that leverage, get under the pad level, ultimately able to throw him down uh, in the running game. So I'd love, uh, would love to be able to watch number 88 blocking for uh, for Sean Tyler. And then if if that running game can open things up in the passing game, really want to see what Spam Ford could do, building some of that chemistry with Kelly Ekmanis. You know, really it's his second year as a starter, first full year as a starter, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, Kaliak Manis can do throwing the football around. Uh, the one game that I haven't really gotten a chance to break down just yet is the Utah-Florida game. Utah ultimately coming away with the win despite the fact that the Cam Rising was not playing. Um, you know, I think that bodes well for, for not only Utah but the Pac-12 Conference um, in their, their swan song, if you will. Um, so we'll be able to break that down in the next podcast. Going to loop that in with uh, you know, we get to see on Friday and, and Saturday. Speaking of Friday, we've got a, a handful of games on Friday night, and I think the game to really watch out for are the two Miami teams. Miami, Florida taking on Miami of Ohio. That's going to be held uh, at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens. And when you look at Miami, obviously you're looking at Tyler Van Dyke. What can Van Dyke do? Obviously he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay upright. Um, you know, can he bounce back? That's going to be a big question mark, you know. And then also, you know, who are res- you know go-to guys going to be? Is it going to be Xavier Restrepo, Frank Ladson? Want to see what happens out there? Elijah Royo could be a, a breakout star at the tight end position. Then uh, that offensive line is Zion Nelson going to be healthy there at that left tackle spot? You're breaking it in a right tackle. I know that he's a five-star, but still, Francis Maui Goa. What does that look like on the right side? Javion Cohen, Matthew Lee at, at the left guard and center, guys that came from Alabama and UCF respectively. Those are guys that I think could end up you know, solidifying themselves as early day three uh, candidates there uh, up front. This is a second year with Mario Cristobal at the helm, so I, I expect an improvement there on the offensive line. And then Leonard Taylor at, at the defensive tackle spot. He has a chance to be one of the top two or three defensive tackles in the country uh, at 6'3", 305. He's a guy that I think teams are really going to be interested in seeing how he plays. I think he has that first-round ability for sure. And then uh, on the back end of the defense, that's going to be the other area to watch with Cam Kitchens, all the interceptions, the playmaking ability on the back end. And then the, the big dude, James Williams, 6'5", 215. Uh, look, we already got to see uh, what the Ricky Wright could do, the 6'4", 220-pound safety. I, I think we were talking about the big safeties those are two names that automatically come to mind for me, uh, Williams and, and Wright. So I'm really curious to see what Williams can do kind of breaking out there. Keep an eye on Hawaii. Hawaii is going to be taken on Stanford and uh, Troy Taylor's first game at the helm with the Cardinal. And, uh, you know, look, Hawaii, 
they, they showed some stuff. They showed their, you know, the passing ability. They showed uh, much better defense. You know, they showed some grittiness, some toughness. They hung in there and really made it a four-point contest. They're going to go in there against Stanford and, and look, they, you know, EJ Smith. How healthy is he at the running back spot? I think Benjamin Urasek, the tight end, is a guy to watch out for. Is he an improved blocker? That's the biggest thing because this guy has over 600 yards uh, receiving. I believe it was a sophomore year, 6'4", 242, a senior now, has good speed. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of depth on this team. Uh, the big playmaker defensively is only a sophomore, David Bailey, the, the edge rusher. I think there's a chance that Hawaii could pull off the upset um, and really ruin that that uh, opening game, that debut for Troy Taylor. That'll be the game for me that I'm really curious about seeing and, and seeing if Hawaii can pull off the upset. Then you get to Saturday. And Saturday, I think there are a lot of really fun games. Obviously, getting to watch Michigan early on. They're taking on East Carolina, um, you know, a team that I don't think they really have to worry about so much. But... Um, it's going to be what can that ground game look like? Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, that offensive line, um, you know, with, with Drake Nugent at center, Ladarius Henderson, you know, a lot of different new faces. Zach Zinter is, is a is a holdover and a guy that's going to be physical in that ground game. If I'm East Carolina, um, you know, I'm definitely not looking forward to this game because, you know, frankly, they're going to get pushed around off the line of scrimmage. Want to see defensively um, for for Michigan. Chris Jenkins have a big game. Keep an eye out for, for Junior Colson and then Rod Moore, the safety. Uh, for East Carolina, um, you know, they're, they're going to have their work cut out for them. You know, I think, you know, you, you've got uh, some some youth on uh, on defense, both up front and, and on the back end. Really, the veterans are going to be on that defensive line. They're all undersized. So I, I really think that Michigan's going to be able to overpower them. And uh, it, it should be a route early in that game. OU gets to take on Arkansas State. Uh, Dylan Gabriel has to have a, a big year. Otherwise, Jackson Arnold's right there breathing down his neck. Um, Want to see the offensive line play. Walter Rouse and Tyler Guyton, two tackles that could end up being um, talked about. Uh, as a, you know, In the case of Guyton, there's some that are even talking about him as a first-rounder. I, I think that's a little bit too rich. Second round makes more sense, especially uh, you know, where Anton Harrison wound up. Want to see... Uh, that defensive end group. There are three of them. Uh, Evan, uh, Ethan Downs, Reggie Grimes, Rondell Bothroyd, all guys that uh, you know, play with the nonstop motor. And then Danny Stutzman. Want to see if he's continued his development. I think it'll be a route there against, uh, against the Red Wolves. TCU taking on Colorado. Obviously, we get to see Shadur Sanders take on a Power 5 team. That's going to be intriguing, obviously, with Dion and, and the new group uh, there. Obviously, you know, we'll get to see Travis Hunter uh, and what he can do. Chandler Morris is going to be running that offense at TCU. Uh, look, a lot of guys are gone. We don't have Kendra Miller, no Qu uh, Quint Quentin Johnston, no Tay Barber, no uh, Darius Davis. Uh, Savion Williams is back. He'll be the top receiver. You've got a couple of tackles in, in Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker, um, you know, who have next-level next ability. Um, defensively, they've returned a lot of guys. Josh Newton, the, the corner, is probably the best of the bunch. Six foot, 185, 195. He's a guy that has a chance to be a first rounder. So keep an eye on him. Can he really cause problems there for Shadur Sanders? Mark Perry, Bud Clark, very active at the safety position as well. Um, and then Johnny Hodges and Jamoy Hodge. Obviously, D. Winters isn't there, but these are two guys that can fly around and make some plays. Uh, Hodges especially looking to try to make plays behind the nine, line of scrimmage, nine and a half. 
a season ago. Uh, Jamoy Hodge, a guy that knows how to get after the quarterback, four and a half sacks last year. Colorado, there are just so many new guys. I, I like the fact that they brought in Alton McCaskill, the running back. Uh, you'll have some explosiveness there. But uh, just with so many unknowns, you know, I think it'll be interesting to tune in and watch. But ultimately, I think TCU ends up running away with this game uh, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, Iowa, is Cade McNamara going to be playing? That's going to be a big question mark. It sounds like there's some, some injury questions there. But uh, Iowa, want to see if that offense, if he is playing, can they uh, sustain a drive? Spencer Petras really struggled last year at that quarterback spot, so getting a bona fide quarterback in there is definitely going to help. Luke Lachey, Eric All, you're going to be seeing a lot of 12 personnel out of Iowa. The offensive line, Mason Richmond, Connor Colby, guys to watch out for. Uh, Joe Evans uh, up front, putting pressure on the quarterback. Nick Jackson at linebacker. Cooper DeGene on the back end. Um, you know, look, you know, Blake Anderson's group. Uh, Utah State really going to struggle, but that'll be a game I want to watch really more so just to see what Iowa looks like uh, when they first hit the field. You get into the afternoon game and you got Ohio State taking on Indiana. I think Tom Allen's really on the hot seat. I don't think you know this roster, uh, you know, when you return just a couple of starters on defense and just three on offense, um, you know, you're in for some, some trouble, I, I have a feeling. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Allen is out of a job uh, even before the season is out. Um, so many weapons. Getting to watch Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, uh, Cade Stover, the passing game, Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams at the running back position in the ground game. Offensive line, you know, this is going to be the question mark. You know, can the, the, the tackles hold up? Obviously, you've got Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones at guard. Donovan Jackson's the guy that has a chance to end up being a first-rounder. Defensively, J.D. Tuimaloal, Mike Hall, uh, you know, Tyleek uh, Hamilton, guys to watch out for up front along with, with Jack Sawyer. Tommy Eichenberg flying around and making plays. Denzel Burke on the back end of the defense. I think this game will be over by halftime. Um, you know, and really it's going to be played in Bloomington. So, uh, you know, those fans, you know, it, it's it, it could be a rough one for them. Washington, they, they get Boise State at home. And look, you know, they're ranked number 10 in the, in the country for a reason. You've got Michael Penix Jr., you got Romo Dunze. Those are going to be guys that are going to be flying down the down the sideline. He and, and, uh, and Jalen McMillan and, and Jalen Polk. Um, you know, obviously you got Troy Fatanu and Roger, Ro, Roger Rosengarten at the tackle spot. But the interior of that line is going to be the big question mark. Our guy is going to be able to shoot the gap and, and put pressure on Penix from up the middle. Defensively, I mean, Braylon Trice, Zion Tupuola Fatuli, and then Tuli, uh, Latuli Nasanoa up front, going to be putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, you know, want to see what that quarterback play looks like for them. You know, Jabbar Muhammad, the transfer from Oklahoma State. Um, they, they've lost some guys. They've lost some guys in the secondary. Really want to see what uh, what that is going to look like, how it's going to play out. And they take on a Boise State team. We haven't really gotten to break them down yet. We will get into some of the Group of Five conference. Uh, Taylor Green is the athletic quarterback. Uh, George Holani, a guy running the football as well. Um, a lot of experience on the offensive side of the football. Uh, defensively, DJ Schramm is the name to remember. Six foot, 234 pounds, 110 tackles, second team all Mountain West, 11 and a half tackles for loss. Dude's a leader. He's the guy that I think, you know, be looking to try to shoot some gaps and get some penetration, um, you know, up the middle. 
I, I just don't think that there's enough firepower defensively for Boise State to handle uh, Washington's offense. I think ultimately Washington ends up pulling away in that game. Um, you know, Wisconsin's taking on Buffalo. I kind of want to tune in just to watch Tanner Mordecai and, and watch how that offense uh, has evolved there under Phil Longo. You know, it's going to be a completely different offense for Wisconsin, so I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, just how many touchdowns are going to be up on Buffalo by the time jump around plays um, is going to be the question. Uh, on defense, Miami, uh, Jung Meta, six foot two forty, the junior, 95 tackles a season ago, 11 and a half tackles for loss. I think he's a guy that can end up being an edge rusher on passing downs for them. So that'll be a, an interesting dynamic to watch. Uh, I mentioned UMass earlier and, and, and Tyson Pomachong. We want to see if they're going to be a, a legitimate, uh, you know, bowl contender can they get into a bowl game they, they obviously will get a chance to prove it against Auburn um, you know this Auburn team this is a, a brand new coaching staff Brian Harson is gone um, so in comes Hugh Freeze um, you know the, the quarterback position obviously the you know it's the big question mark there but you're gonna have Jack Dr- West Hunter running the football defensively there's a lot of guys uh, that are gonna be back but um, you know if Puma Chong and Anthony Simpson, you know, if they are legit, uh, we're going to find out early uh, with, with that football game for sure. Uh, Georgia taking on Tennessee Martin. That game will be over by half. USC, I mentioned, taking on Nevada. Just want to see if that defense can really get things shored up for them. Um, Colorado State taking on Washington State. There are two guys that I want to tune in and watch that game for. Uh, Colorado State, they've got Tori Horton and uh, Muhammad Kamara. You know, Tory Horton is a uh, is a stud on the outside, a guy that can be a, a playmaker. Over 1,100 yards through the air, 6'2", 180 pounds. You know, can he build that chemistry there with Clay Millen, quarterback? Um, you know, on, on the outside, really the big question mark is that offensive line. Uh, they only have one returning starter. Can they keep him upright enough to be able to get the football to uh, Tory Horton? And then you have Muhammad Kamara, as I mentioned, 6'1", 250 pounds. Uh, eight and a half sacks a season ago. This is a guy that uh, you know has a chance to rack up double-digit sacks and you know improve that draft stock a little bit. So want to see what they can do against Wazoo. Jake Dickert is back at, at the helm there uh, for Washington State in the last last year of of, of uh, a Pac-12 play. Then there's the uncertainty with the program. But look, they've got a dynamic quarterback in, in Cam Watson. I'm sorry, in Cam Ward, the running back of the Kia Watson running that football. The question mark's really going to be who's he throwing the football to. They've got a lot of veterans back. As, you know, as I said, Jared Kingston's gone, but everybody else is back. I think Connor Gomnes, the center, is probably um, the, the focal point there. And then defensively, you've got Ron Stone Jr. You've got Brandon Jackson rushing the quarterback on the on the edge. David Gusta was a guy that stepped up and made some plays at the defensive tackle position. Uh, linebackers, they've got to replace Dayon Henley, so I think that's a place that they need to work on. But really the matchup is going to be Chow Smith-Wade going up against my guy Torrey Horton. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You'll see Jaden Hicks and Sam Lockett on the back end as well. Um, you know, I think Washington State wins the game, but I think just matchup-wise, that's really what's going to be exciting for me. If Torrey Horton going up against Chas Smith-Wade and uh, you know, Kamara going up against uh, you know, a veteran offensive line, if they can have big games, then I think that's going to bode well for the draft stock. Um, Alabama taking on Middle Tennessee State. You know, this is another game that I think is likely to be done by halftime. Um, 
I think Bama, this is the right game, you know, to, to break in a quarterback. They're going to be, it sounds like, um, you know, with, with Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, um, and uh, Tyler Buckner. You know, that's going to be a the question mark. You know, you've got the weapons in, in Corey Brooks and, and Jermaine Burton at receiver, Kobe Prentice as well, Jake McClellan, Jace McClellan running the football, uh, J.C. Latham, the right tackle. But you are replacing uh, some some uh, some guys up front, so that's going to be a question mark. Can they hold up? Uh, Latham obviously is going to be the stud at right tackle. He's a guy that has a chance to be a top ten pick defensively. You've got Jaheim Otis up front, Tim Smith. Um, but the question really is going to be, can Chris Bradwell um, help Dallas Turner in rushing the quarterback? Dallas Turner doesn't have Will Anderson Jr., so that's going to be the big question mark is, is can Turner continue to get to the quarterback with freak, with the frequency that he had uh, when Will Anderson was there? Uh, Deontay Lawson, Tresman Marshall, new linebackers on the interior. Um, and then Kool-Aid McKinstry and, and Terry on Mar- uh, Arnold, Malachi Moore, You've got the veterans there uh, on the back end of the defense. So I, I think defensively, you're in much better hands, especially, like I said, on the back end. Um, you know, if they can put the consistent pressure on the quarterback, then that's just really going to make things difficult to go anywhere with the football with those guys locking things down on the outside. Um, Middle Tennessee, the guys to watch out for are the guys up front. Um, obviously, you lose Corey and Patterson. You lose Jordan, uh, Jordan Ferguson, uh, who was a guy that had nine, nine sacks a season ago. But as I mentioned, you've got Zalem Wood and Marley Cook. These are two guys. You know, Zalem Cook, big play potential, six and a half sacks a season ago. Marley Cook, nine and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks. Um, you know, these are two guys, not the tallest, but guys that, that are very explosive, getting off the football and getting into the backfield. Then you have Teldrick Ross, 5'11", corner, and Trey Flewellen, the free safety at 6'2", 208. Those are guys that I think can fly around and make some plays. They've got some veterans on that defensive side of the football. I think they might be able to make things interesting. I just don't think that offense is going to have enough firepower, and Bama's going to pull away uh, rather early. But again, I'm just I'm all about the matchups, and that's something that I think is going to be interesting to see just with with some of those playmakers there for Middle Tennessee State. Uh, UNC taking on South Carolina. Spencer Rattler, Drake May. That's going to be the matchup to watch. Can Drake May build that? Uh, chemistry with his receivers huge question mark there with Spencer Rattler which guy are we going to get are we going to see the guy that was connecting with Juice Wells uh, early and often against uh, Tennessee and Clemson beating back to, you know uh, top 10 teams back-to-back weeks or are we going to see the guy that threw you know double-digit picks um, at the beginning of the year big question mark but uh, we're going to be hearing Sandstorm playing um because they're technically the home team, even though it's at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, huge atmosphere there. Tulane without Ty J Spears. Um, really, you know, we're going to see Michael Pratt and really see what this kid can do, what the talent level. You know, can he improve that draft stock? Um, that's going to be a, a big question mark. They're taking on a South Alabama team that had probably its best, uh, best season at the FBS level. Um, USA, you know, they were, were 10 and 3, and uh, you know, they, they had some close losses. One, one point loss against UCLA, a four point loss against Troy, and then they lost in the bowl game 44 23. I mean, this was a team that had a chance to be, you know, have a, a one loss season. Um, you know, Carter Bradley's back, like Damian Webb is back, so they've got the quarterback and, and running back. 
Uh, they've got some weapons there at the receiver spot as well, although uh, Jalen Wayne is gone. Um, but the two receivers, you know, in yards and receptions, and Devin Voison and Colin Lacey are back. And then defensively, Jamie Sheriff is going to be a guy that's going to look to put pressure on the quarterback. On the back end of the defense, you're going to have Yam Banks, the guy who is a playmaker for sure. A nickel, probably going to be a safety at the next level. Uh, 6'1", 208, only a junior. Um, so I, I think that's a game that Tulane has to watch out for, for sure. Um, later on, you got UCLA taking on Coastal Carolina. UCLA is probably going to be starting uh, you know, Dante Moore, the, the fabulous freshman. And then Carson Steele, the running back from Ball State, a guy you know, it, top 10 in the FBS in rushing. This is a dude who's just a bowling ball, uh, just a buffed up back guy that has some elusiveness to his game. He'll make you miss um, in the hole, uh, not as explosive in, in the open field, but a guy that he reminds me of, Zach Charbonnet, because once he gets going, he's difficult to bring down. He's going to run through arm tackles, tremendous contact balance, can catch the football out of the backfield as well. Defensively for them, um, you know, Leatu Latu is a stud coming off the edge, double-digit sacks, a guy that I think could be poised for uh, first round, uh, you know, as long as the medicals check out. You know, that's going to be the big thing. They're going up against Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. And now with Coastal Carolina, obviously, when you lose a, a coach like Jamie Chadwell, that's going to be uh, – that's going to hurt. You know, you bring in Tim Beck. He's the, the, the head coach there. But, uh, you know, Grant, Grayson McCall, it's his team. Uh, Three-time Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, 78 touchdown passes, 18 uh, on the ground. So he's responsible for 95 touchdowns. He gets his receivers back, all of them in Tyson Mobley, Jared Brown, Sam Pinkney. So they'll put pressure on guys like Kenny Churchwell and Devin uh, Kirkwood on the back end. Devin Kirkwood, a ton of length, a 6'3 corner. You'll figure he'll be matched up with Sam Pinkney, the 6'4 receiver on the outside as well. Uh, they, they bring back Reese White and Braden Bennett, the running backs. And uh, they're pretty experienced up front on the offensive line. Defensively, I think it's a different story. There are a lot of guys, a lot of new faces that they're bringing in. Um, they're going to have to replace, obviously, Josiah Stewart. Losing him to Michigan is is big. Stewart had 12 and a half sacks in 2021. A guy that I think is is prime for a big year. I didn't mention him when breaking down Michigan's defense, but I think Stewart is another guy to really keep an eye out for if he has a big year there uh, in Big Ten play. That Josiah Stewart's a guy that could see his draft stock soar. Grayson McCall, though, um, I, I think he'll end up leading some drives there against UCLA. I just don't think this defense is going to be able to stop that UCLA offense. Uh, then we get to Sunday. Sunday is interesting because obviously, you know, I mean, there's Northwestern and Rutgers. Um, that that game, we could see a one of the lowest scores of the season in that that contest. I think that's a, a, two programs that are struggling for sure. Oregon State taking on San Jose State. Just mentioned San Jose State, Chevin Cordero on the offensive side of the football, and then defensively, you've got Trey Smith getting after the quarterback, and that quarterback is DJ Uwe Angolale looking to resurrect his career. Um, you know, obviously, what happened to Clemson. Uh, he struggled with, with accuracy, struggled with decision-making, then struggled with his confidence, ended up losing the starting spot to Kate Klubnick. So now he's there at Oregon State, 6'4", 251, um, unquestioned leader of this offense. 
veteran offensive line, Damian Martinez, the power back, six foot, two hundred thirty pounds. Um, you know, Martinez was, the, I believe, the Pac-12 freshman of the year a season ago. Uh, Joshua Gray is only a junior, but I think he could be a top five guard. And then uh, Taliese Fuaga, um, 6'6", 325 at right tackle. He's a guy that could be in a top 10 tackle in the draft. Um, you know, So really want to see how those guys match up against Trey Smith. And then uh, defensively, um, obviously they, they've got some guys to replace, especially Omar Spates. Then you also have Alex Austin on the outside, Rajon uh, Wright that you also have to replace. Um, you do have Keaton Oladapo, the, the safety there on the back end of the defense. But this is a defense that I think can be exploited by Chevin Cordero. It's going to be an interesting game. And I think there's a good chance, depending on what happens there with DJ Uyangalole, that uh, San Jose State could pull off the upset. They're playing at home um, at CEFCU Stadium in San Jose. So you know, Brent Brennan, I, I think if they can win this game, that'll really help springboard them into Mountain West play. And then obviously the game to talk about is LSU and, and, and Florida State. Um, can Florida State repeat and, and upset LSU? LSU would be a minor upset, but LSU is uh, you know ranked number five versus number eight for Florida State. LSU, everyone's hyping up. Uh, Jaden Daniels um, as really the quarterback that could challenge Caleb Williams for the Heisman Trophy. Um, you, you know, 17 touchdowns, just three interceptions, over 2,900 yards. Um, look, you know, the, the offense last year averaged three, uh, 34.5 points uh, a game, over 450 yards as well. Also rushed for 885 yards, which led the team in 11 touchdowns. So this guy, I think, um, you know, he's become a much better pocket passer he's someone that just consistency you always saw you always saw flashes but you never saw the consistency this is the year that i'm waiting to see if he can finally put it all together another year with brian kelly is this the year that he takes a step we can look at him and say you know definitively that Jaden daniels is a quarterback and not just a great athlete who happens to be playing quarterback you know can he put it all together can he show that he can you know process things and be able to make plays he's got Malik Neighbors on the outside I think Fentrell Cypress against Malik Neighbors will be a fun matchup to watch uh, the offensive line is a veteran group uh, Will Campbell only a sophomore gets to go up against uh, Jared Burst so I think that'll be a really fun matchup for sure um, you know the ground game you got Josh Williams they'll probably you know running back by committee makes the most sense there and when you look at Florida State up front, uh, Fabian Lovett there at the defensive tackle spot. Braden Fiske is a guy that I think is going to help uh, push the pocket and collapse the pocket from within, which is going to allow Jared Verse to make plays uh, coming off the edge. They've got the veteran linebackers in Kalen Deloche and, and uh, Tatum Bethune that are going to be roaming around there. They're going to have to spy Jaden Daniels make sure that he doesn't take off and run. Um, and then the safeties. Uh, you know, Shaheen Brown, Akeem Dent, I think there are going to be some playmakers on the back end looking to, to disrupt things in the passing game. You know, look, you know, Brian Thomas Jr., Kyron Lacey, and then the fabulous sophomore tight end Mason Taylor are going to be solid weapons there for Jaden Daniels. So it's not like the cover's bare or anything. You know, they've got quite a few receivers. It's just going to be, can Daniels consistently deliver the football to them? Uh, can Jared Verse, you know, on the flip side for Florida State, put pressure on him? 6'4", 253, we're expecting double-digit sacks. Is that what we're going to be seeing? You know, what are they going to be doing to uh, 
try to help out, you know, in you know, chipping him whenever possible. You know, I think Mason Taylor trying to, uh, to to take him on at times. But when you watch, you know, Jared Verse, watch how he sets the edge against the run. I think that's another thing that really sets him apart. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a fun matchup, LSU offense against the Florida State defense. And then you get, and this is where I, I think Florida State is going to have the edge. You've got Jordan Travis, the quarterback, 6'1", 212. Uh, he's put on some muscle and uh, a dynamic passer in his own right. Uh, 24 touchdowns, five interceptions, over 3,200 yards. Also had uh, you know a decent gain on uh, on the ground running the football. But then you've got Trey Benson, the running back, physical at the point of attack, 6'1", 221 pounds, 990 yards, and nine touchdowns, 6.4 yards per carry. He's going to run through you, but then he also has the speed to run by you. Um, so in that ground game, you're going to have Mason Smith, the defensive tackle, won't be playing in the game. Um, you know, so he's he's a guy. The health of uh, of Smith is going to be key up front. You've got Makai Wingo, uh, Savion Jones, uh, Ovio uh, Ogufo um, on that defensive front. They're going to have have their hands full trying to block, uh, trying to to bring down Trey Benson. Um, you know, Robert Scott, the left tackle, I think has to have a bounce back year. Uh, athletic, but a guy that I thought got overpowered at times and, you know, frankly was left leaning and lunging um, and bending at the waist too often. So I think he's got to improve. Um, you've got uh, Casey Roddick, uh, a transfer that's playing left guard. Some experience there up front, though, uh, at the center and right guard positions as well. Then you get the passing game. You get Keon Coleman. 6'4", 215 pounds, looks like a basketball player in his own right there at Michigan State. But then you put him with Johnny Wilson, the 6'7", 230, 240-pound junior receiver. Guy that I think averaged about 20 yards of reception. Guy that just knows how to get vertical, get behind defenders. Um, you know, that's going to be a, a tough matchup for that secondary there at, at LSU. Uh, but Deuce Chestnut has that experience coming over from, uh, from Syracuse, 5'11", 200 pounds. He's going to be a guy to watch out for. Same thing with Devin Harris, another guy that I think could be a ball hawk. You've got Major Burns, the, the strong safety. Greg Brooks, the free safety. Those are guys that are going to be lurking on the back end of the defense. And then, you know, obviously, you know, Robert Scott's going to really have to show that he can block Harold Perkins. Perkins is a guy that was wreaking havoc, especially towards the close of the season. Uh, you know, third on, on the team in tackles. Seven and a half sacks to lead the team. Um, a guy that just seemed to live behind the line of scrimmage. Um, only a sophomore now, 6'1", 220 pounds, but just so explosive. And that's the thing that's going to be scary, a scary proposition for Florida State. Jordan Travis is athletic, um, but you know, obviously you've got Omar Spates, the 6'1", 235-pound um, all-Pac-12 linebacker um, who's transferred in from the Beavers. Um, you know, he's, he's a playmaker. He's in, you know instinctive. And you, you pair him up with with what you've got with um, you know with, with Harold Perkins and then Greg Penn as well. Greg Penn is a guy that uh, shows pretty good range and you know a heady performer for them. So I think the linebackers really are going to be the strength of this defense and the back end of that that, that defense isn't, isn't spectacular, but I think they're guys that are veterans. Um, you know I think if they can establish the ground game with, with Trey Benson running the football, shoot, run at. Uh, Harold Perkins and make him, uh, you know, make plays. You know, Jared Verse shows that he can set the edge against the run. Can Harold Harold Perkins do the same thing? Don't run away from him. Don't allow him to use that speed to run down guys. 
that was the thing that I never understood. You know, when teams would run away from like Barkevius Bingo or Kaleva Chase on there at LSU, run at him, you know, and see if he can hold up. Uh, you know, obviously you've got Omar Spates you're going to have to contend with as well. But I look at this game, I think Florida State's going to end up winning the game. I, I really do. I think LSU, um, there's a lot of hype around uh, th- this program. I just, I-, I think Florida State has so many weapons. They did a great job um, bringing in some, some transfers to fill in some key, hole, key holes. Um, I think Florida State ends up winning that game, um, which then takes us to Monday night. And Monday night, you know, uh, Wallace Wade in Durham, North Carolina is going to be rocking. Uh, Clemson comes to town uh, to take on the Duke Blue Devils. Clemson, look, Clay Kubnick, uh, I'm not overly impressed with Cade, um, so I really want to see what he can do. Uh, his receivers, you know, Adam Randall, Antonio Williams, Bo Collins, I don't think there's really a guy that emerged a season ago uh, as a playmaker, so I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, honestly, you know, you've got Garrett Riley, who is an offensive genius. We saw what he's able to do there at TCU. Can he build things up for Clay Klebnik? That's going to be the question mark. But the offense has to go through Will Shipley. He's got to touch the ball 20-plus times a game. Over 1,100 yards a season ago and 15 touchdowns. Such a dynamic back and a guy that can make plays in the passing game as well. 5'11", 205. The junior, just get him the football and allow him to make plays. You've got veterans up front, four returning starters on the offensive line. The one uh, one guy that, that you don't return is, is the left tackle, Jordan McFadden. But, uh, you know, Marcus Tate and Walker, Walker Parks are veterans are at the, at the guard spots, along with Will Putnam, the center, senior. He's the unquestioned leader at the pivot for Clemson. Duke, they return a lot of guys up front. You know, um, you know R.J. Oban is the edge rusher for them. But then, you know, I think the guy that you really have to be talking about is, is Dwayne Carter. A guy that has the ability to get into the backfield, 6'3", 303. Uh, you know, Dorian Mausi is a guy that's also um, a an athletic linebacker. So I think he's a guy that can be a, a presence there. Uh, you know, not only in the ground game, but uh, getting after after the quarterback and being able to drop into coverage a little bit. And then you look at the the secondary, really boosted by the additions of, of Miles Jones. You know, a tall corner, 29 career starts, and then Al Blades from Miami. Those are two guys you bring into to Mike Elko. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this defense plays because I think the, the defensive front is strong. I think the secondary, there's a lot of veterans, even on the, on the, at the safety position. Um, it's it, you know they, they run a 4-2-5. That's really what you're going to see out of this defense. Uh, Clemson offensively, I, I think you know Duke may be able to hold up against them. You know that's going to be the big question mark, though. Um, you know, can they hold up? I think that'll keep things close. Um, and then obviously the the defense is Clemson's really their their main strong suit. Obviously, you've got Riley Leonard, the uh, the quarterback, a guy that I think a lot of people are expecting to see as a potential first rounder. I think he may be a top four quarterback in this year's draft. Top four or five, 33 touchdown passes. Uh, I'm sorry, 33 total touchdowns, 20 passing, 13 on the ground, over 2,900 yards through the air, uh, just under 700 on the ground, and uh, just six interceptions. So really improving from a decision-making standpoint, 6'4", 209, very athletic. Uh, Jordan Waters is a, is a veteran running back. He's got all of his receivers returning, plus his tight end, so there's some experience there. Chemistry's already built. He's got Graham Barton, his left tackle, protecting his blind side. Uh, you know, the question I think is going to be, can they generate any type of a, a run game 
for Jordan Waters. You've got Ruka Roro and Tyler Davis, the, the defensive tackles. Uh, they're, they're a couple of beasts. You know, I think there's question marks at, at the edge rush spots for, for Clemson. Um, but then you've got Jeremiah Trotter and, Jr. and Barrett Carter. They fly around and make plays. I think they'll be going sideline to sideline against that run game. Duke's going to have to get creative. Um, you know, I could easily see Clemson turning this into you know, a one-dimensional Duke offense where they're having to put up the, fo- the football up and air it out time and time again, um, which, again, lends back to who's going to be able to put pressure, consistent pressure on the quarterback. A season ago, Jeremiah Trotter, he, he and Miles Murphy led the team with six and a half sacks apiece. Um, so you need to have some edge rushers. Justin Maskell, um, Xavier Thomas, if he can stay healthy. Who's going to put pressure on the quarterback? I think Nate Wiggins is a, is a guy that could be a stud um, for them at the cornerback spot, 6'2", 185. Andrew Bakuba, the strong safety, 6'185". He's another guy that I think uh, you know, can make plays, you know, fly around, uh, looks to, to, to hit some guys. And, uh, you know, so I think the secondary, it's a veteran group. I think they'll, they'll hold up pretty well. Um, there isn't a, an explosive receiver that's going to be a necessarily a go-to. It's going to be more of a, a receiver by committee for Duke. Um, I, I think the, the pass rush, um, where is it going to come from? That's going to be the big question mark. I don't see them really being able to run the football. Um, I think you're probably going to see Riley Leonard as a guy that's going to get most of the, the, the yards on the ground, being able to vacate the pocket and take off and run. And when you do that, watch out for number zero, Barrett Carter, because he flies around and makes plays. I think Clemson wins this game, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. I think Duke, uh, because of the veteran play on both sides of the ball, I think there's going to be a chance that uh, they're going to be in it before uh, Clemson finally does pull away. Um, you know, you can't be a one-dimensional team and be uh, a defense like Clemson. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen is they're going to be turned into uh, a one-dimensional team. I could be wrong. We could be seeing a breakout year for Jordan Waters. Um, but uh, I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think ultimately we're going to see Clemson. Uh, and look, you know, you're going to be seeing a, a showdown between Clemson and Florida State likely for that ACC title. I mean, that's really what it's going to end up being. Um, but that, that matchup is going to be on September 23rd. So we get to see that early in the season. So obviously these are two big games that are going to help kind of shape things up um, and really see who's going to have that first leg up going into the year. North Carolina taking on South Carolina. Where are they going to position themselves? Um, you know, and then there are a lot of question marks in the middle of this group. NC State, you know, they, they won their game, but they didn't look spectacular. What's Miami going to be able to do? I think that could be the sleeper team. Want to see, you know, what they can do with that offensive line and Tyler Van Dyke up front. You know, so that's going to be interesting to see uh, that dynamic there in the ACC. So we've been able to go ahead and kind of put week zero to, to bed. And we've also gotten through the Thursday night games with the exception of just one, and that's the Utah-Florida game. We'll get to break that down later on. Next podcast, we'll probably have to break it into two podcasts to get through all of the games over the first 
full slate of college football games. There are going to be a lot of games that I'm going to be watching, and so there'll be a lot of a lot of teams to break down, a lot of players to to analyze, and uh, make sure to bring that to you. And then obviously we'll springboard into week two. But uh, I do want to get to the group of five. There are a lot of guys to to make mention of. Plenty of guys that we'll be talking about come the pre-draft process as well. So that'll be something that we'll be sprinkling in here. And then as we go through the season, we'll have our conversations about you know the top players at each position. Um, but really the, the focus right now is just kind of getting through these games and uh, seeing what we have. You know, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of you know assumptions based on performances a season ago. So let's see who's taking that next step. So until next time, everyone, for ReadyForTheDraft.com, this has been the Ready For The Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Shoots. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the weekend of football. Until next time, I'm out.